Are you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we are the quantum mechanics, the podcast for the believers, the doubters and everyone in between. Now, just before we get into this, last week we did reference that this week we would be having um, at least one special episode. Now, that is still happening, but we've had some production problems the people that we need to organise, they have their own lives as well and they don't necessarily sit around our production schedule. But it is yeah. it is a show that is going to be worth waiting for. It has been well-researched and we've got some guests that will surprise you. We're going to come back to that yeah, one. it's going to be amazing. It is going to be brilliant. And, and even the guests who think they have the full story, they don't because we've got the other bit of the story. It is going to be great. But... This week, we're going to do something slightly different because it's a playful, spooky week. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I know it's only the start of the week, but in my mind, it's Halloween week. And Ben and I have been debating what we were going to do for our uh, episode that coincides with Halloween. I think we mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, actually. And we've, we've been throwing ideas around, haven't we? We talked about what Halloween means to us and what we like about it. So for me... Halloween is almost like a fun, safe space to be scared. It's like everybody's joining in for once, right? From kids trick-or-treating, adults dressing up, going to bars and parties. You know, it feels like everybody's taking part in the paranormal, which is not always the case. I don't know what your your thoughts on Halloween are. Yeah. No, I, I like it as well because when... I mean, it shows our age, but when we were kids, Halloween was something that was just for children and it was almost cartoony there would be a couple of specials on the telly probably a scooby-doo or something like that and you might go around to parties and but i never really liked those parties where you sort of you know were blindfolded and your hand went into some peeled grapes and go oh eyeballs i think it's it's much more fun than that i like it's partly the the weather because here in the northern in the northern hemisphere and particularly here in uh, the uk is sort of the first time when you might have a frost it's really dark quite early the clocks will also have moved so it gets dark earlier than um you know it had has been for the last six months and there is something just particularly special about it i I don't know if it's my imagination, but I do feel like the veil is a little bit thinner. I feel like, like if I'm going to see something, it will be that night. Yeah. Yeah, I, no, I agree I agree with that. And, um, yeah, so as, as you can see, me and Ben have been thinking about it a lot and what to do. And like normally we'd kind of do a paranormal story or an investigation or something. And actually... For once, we decided, why don't we just pick something that we both love about this spooky time of year? And that's watching a great classic horror film. Yeah. Well, it is the, it's the right time of year to start because you go um, horror movies, and they don't have to be gory horror movies, as we'll see, like just things to get you into the mood. Yeah. And then that sort of transitions quite sort of... By the time you're at the other half, the other side of Bonfire Night, which is, I know, a very specific British thing, but then once you get the other side of that, we're starting Christmas movies, and before you know it, we're yeah. we're watching Die Hard and <laughs> um, ordering Sprouts, and yeah. you know, and and then it's then that's it for the year. So I I really relish this this week. I absolutely love. Yeah. So yes, we thought we'd do something different. And talk about our favourite horror films. So, 
Now, just before we start, because I've we've we've done a top. Our both of us have done our top tens, and I know from doing various top tens for various things in the past, they're often quite a controversial thing to do. So I want to be clear. This is not a critic's list of the best horror films ever made. It's our no. personal favourites, right? And I'm sure people will be screaming at the podcast going, how the hell did they not include so-and-so or that? And, and, and what I'd say to that is we'd love to see your top tens as well. So if you want to put them uh, in the comments or put a post on our Facebook group at TQM Podcast, I'd love to kind of find out what you think we've missed out or what's your favourite top ten would be great to know, right? Yeah, no, completely. Because th- there are some great horror movies and there are some on your list which um, I probably couldn't put on in the house with my partner around because she doesn't like that sort right. of thing. Um, and there's also others which are probably artistically brilliant, but I've... I, just not my taste you know things like yeah. hostel and saw and stuff like that yeah i just like it's just a personal thing it's no criticism of them as an art form but i find them like repulsive and they leave me feeling gross rather than entertained and spooked yeah. so so these are the things that i like to put on that i know that my partner won't have a problem with <laughs> and i like either the jumps or the laughs because some of them are quite funny yeah, yeah. And, and another clarification, we have both avoided what I would call sci-fi style horrors like Alien and stuff like that. Cause, oh, uh, yeah. Because I think Halloween to me is more about the paranormal than that kind of stuff. And also, we, I think if this episode goes well, we may do a kind of sci-fi list another time. Yeah, I think so. And you're right, like Alien and Predator and um, there's a whole bunch of other ones. They're really, really good, but they are definitely horror of a different genre. What we're talking about here is um, paranormal ghosts, entities um, and, you know, what you'd call a head scratcher. In fact, my number 10 is a head scratcher, but I love it. Okay, cool. So we're, we're going to get into it now. Um, ben did see my top 10 first, and I think he would have probably included some of what I've put in, but he just to kind of keep it easy, we've picked 10 separate movies each. But I, I've, I've had a little peek at Ben's list, and there are some great stuff on there, and I'm sure there's some stuff on my list that Ben would have had if I hadn't nabbed it first. So apologies for that, Ben. No, no, no. Let's start off. Uh, with my number 10. So it's me, Peter, going first. And my number 10 horror movie that I like to watch at this time of year is actually a comedy horror. And that is Shaun of the Dead. And Shaun of the Dead, directed uh, by Edgar Wright in 2004, obviously starring Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. I think Simon Pegg co-wrote it with Edgar Wright. Uh, one reason that I love it, it's brilliantly funny. And weirdly, comedy and horror, I think, is a really hard thing to do as, you know, little comedy bits within horror films work, but to do a whole comedy film with a horror theme, (laughs) anyone who's seen uh, any of the scary movies films will know is not that easy to do. And, no. and, And Shaun of the Dead just nails it for me. There are, you do get that kind of tension and, 
uh, horror themes and lots of uh, nods to the genre. And, and then there's these just perfect laugh out loud moments. One moment I particularly love as a, a music fan is there's that great scene where they've got their vinyl records and they're trying to throw them at the zombies who are attacking them and <laughs> debating yes. which albums they can throw at the zombies and which ones they don't want to damage. And there's a big debate about the Stone Roses' second album, whether they should lob it at a zombie <laughs> or not. And it's just perfect because I'm kind of with Simon Pegg on that one. I liked it, you know, but lots of people don't. So they're just these beautiful touches. I know it's a favourite of yours as well, Ben. Well, it, it is. And it's, it's sort of where um, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost sort of develop their characters for, like, what is known as the Cornetto trilogy, isn't it? It's kind of, it's it's where we see them. And and my favourite fact is that Nick Frost was still working as a waiter while he was filming that, which is remarkable. Yeah, yeah. He was was working in the the joint where he met um, Simon Pegg. Wow, that's amazing. Mm. And uh, and interestingly, I used to live quite close to the pub where a lot of it was shot. And uh, I don't live there anymore, but every Halloween there would be a zombie procession to the pub. Everyone would dress up. We'd meet me at the Village Green and there'd be hundreds of people just walking down the street dressed as zombies heading for the pub that's in Shaun of the Dead, which I just loved as well. That's amazing. Oh, I'd love to do that. I'd love to do that. Yeah. Oh, it'd be brilliant. So that's that's my number 10, Shaun of the Dead. Okay. Uh, Shaun of the Dead, it's it's in. Well, they're they're all in, but that is definitely in. I love it. Um, uh, so my number ten, it is a bit different to yours, but uh, I find it. This one is probably one of the scarier on the list. To be honest, it's Duel. Now I know some people would describe that as a thriller. In fact, I think Wikipedia describes it as thriller, but I find it pretty damn terrifying so if you haven't seen it d-u-e-l it it isn't really it's very hard to find on streaming services and uh, which is weird know, consider it this is steven spielberg's first full-length picture right that's in 1971. right yeah that's that's right yeah it, it's it's so he basically left his college course to come and make this film and it is genius i'm sure you've all seen it but it just centers around uh, it's a it's a character called David Mann, and he's a business commuter, and he's driving through California on on his way to a business meeting, and suddenly, for no real reason, this enormous lorry is terrorizing him, and we don't we sort of get a sight of the driver of the lorry, but we sort of don't like we see the odd leg, but really the cab is usually kept blacked out. And so we're never we're never 100% sure whether the driver is a psychopath. Sometimes it feels like it's the truck. Mm. And I think what is so disturbing about it is because there's no reason for it to happen. He's just being pursued and it's relentless. It's that relentless pursuit. Yeah. And that makes me like I think it becomes even more chilling today. When you think we're going, we're experimenting with driverless trucks right now on yeah. British highways, and if one of those takes a dislike to me, then you know, Jewel <laughs> could be a real, a real thing. Yeah. But it is an absolute genius film. It is. It's 
it really is amazingly directed. I, I remember I haven't seen it for a long time, but I remember the first time I saw it, I was so tense all the way through. And you're right, it's like in your mind, even though you see glimpses of who the driver is, it it's the truck that's the villain, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so like apparently Spielberg wanted it to be the fear of the unknown and and i guess that comes out in his later films like jaws because you know you got this you know shark under the water and again it's the unknown and he's absolutely right so he wanted it to have almost this um supernatural feel to it but apparently there was a bit of backing and toing with writers and um the studio and we have to see some arms and boots that are needed um to to push the plot along and there oh, really? are like, I didn't know that. yeah like i don't That's it, a doesn't, shame. it doesn't really matter because you soon forget there's anyone in there and it is yeah. worth watching watching for um if you enjoy watching mistakes you can sometimes see the shadow of a stunt driver in the uh, right. in the cab but it doesn't ruin it it's like one of his finest pieces of work and a perfect halloween thing because it, it, I don't think it is thriller. I think it's supernatural. That's really good. I, I'm really glad you picked it as well because, like you said, it, it 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 probably wouldn't jump out, but it is a brilliant movie, and oh, I, yeah. I think it will get you in that Halloween vibe. Yeah, really good choice. So, what well, have you got move... in at number nine? Yeah, I I well, weirdly, actually, I've got something that kind of it, it, I don't know if it deliberately or just uh by coincidence does does have scenes that remind me of jewel my number nine is jeepers creepers oh yeah i didn't i went to see that in the cinema i did enjoy that so uh it's directed by victor salva 2001 um yeah it's got the it definitely starts with that feeling of jewel because they're being pursued by this truck that is trying to drive them off the road as they're on the back roads driving across america um one of the reasons i really like it and it starts off the the two main characters are brother and sister and i've always wondered about it and i was i did do a little bit of research about it that the director deliberately picked them to be brother and sister rather than a love interest because he didn't want to get into all those horror movie tropes of kind of, you know, showery sex scenes and all that kind of stuff. He didn't want any sexual tension in the movie at all. We just wanted to be purely scary and paranormal. And I think it really comes across really well. I like it as well because there's that lovely scene. Uh, we're not going to do too many spoilers in this episode in case you haven't seen them, but there is a scene where they go down a, a, a deserted tunnel to investigate what's going on because they've seen something spooky with this truck and uh, the sister says this is the part in a horror movie where everybody in the audience looks and kind of feels you're a complete idiot for doing this it's not my i'm paraphrasing <laughs> but it, it, it I, I love that fact it kind of acknowledges that um now interestingly uh, i was having a look to see where the story comes from and it's Basically, Victor Selva, who's the director and writer, has always said that the legend of the Creeper is complete complete fiction. Um, 
However, some of the scenes were based... So there's a bit where a body is dumped down a well or a pipe uh, by an abandoned church, and that was actually inspired by a real case of someone called Dennis Depew, a former Michigan property assessor who murdered his wife and was seen by witnesses near an old schoolhouse with a bloody sheet, and they recall him speeding past in a van and eventually tailing the people who'd spotted them and hiding them and riding their bumper for several miles. So this true uh, life tale has kind of influenced some of the stuff that goes into the movie. Ah, uh, right, right, yeah. Well, that, because that's quite an iconic scene, that um, that sort of sitting on the bumper, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but every time I watch it, I just think of National Lampoons and, uh, the, you know, uh, Chevy Chase hiding under the truck. But um, <laughs> I'll tell you, you've yeah. that for me forever. Now, there is one, my, <laughs> my favourite scene in that movie is there's a bit where they've managed to hook up the, the two main characters have kind of hooked up with the police. So you get this feeling of safety uh, with with them being tailed with the police and... I don't know, a slight feeling, even though you know something's going to go wrong, you feel a little bit safer and there's a whole roadside scene which is is brilliantly directed and really scary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I really like it. Yep. That so that's is, my number nine. That's, an, that's another good one. Uh, my number nine, American Werewolf in London. I don't oh. think I need to say a huge amount about American Werewolf in London, apart from when you see it as a kid... It is terrifying. When you see it as a teenager, it's hilarious. And then when you see it later in life, probably the third or fourth time, you appreciate how brilliantly directed and written it is. Yeah. And even to this day, you know those films where there's you always have a couple of sayings, like we have a few things like... You know, if we're driving through a town, you know, near where uh, my partner comes from, which is deep in the countryside, and we're looking for somewhere to have, you know, a pub that's open, we can have dinner. And we're like, if it's the slaughtered lamb, we're not, we're not going in. Um, yeah, and it, that has and, almost become common culture now, isn't it? Whenever yes. you walk into a pub and it goes quiet, or it is a really quiet yeah. pub, you're like, oh, it's like American yeah. Wealth London in here. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 completely. And, and like it got into the the zeitgeist so much that obviously there are elements of the thriller video, you, you know, that sort of replicate America while we're in London. Same director. Same director and that feeling. But um, for those, and this is really for our British audience, but also for anybody who has an appreciation of British comedy and you can look this up on YouTube, Lenny Henry, who is a national treasure but was doing a sketch show on the BBC at the time, he parodied the thriller video where he starts off as the werewolf and turns into Michael Jackson and (laughs) it's the woman gets scared as he turns into Michael Jackson and it is an utterly glorious parody. But all of those three things are a triangle of werewolfy joy and I don't think there's, there's, like, I can't say anything more about America Werewolf in London apart from... It's hilarious and terrifying. And if you haven't seen it, watch it. And if you have seen it, like, watch it again because you've probably forgotten how good it is. Brilliant. Okay. Well, I'll move on to my number eight. Now, I'm not generally a big fan of zombie movies, to be honest. And, and I appreciate that, you know, 
Night of the Living Dead. And there are all these great movies. And I appreciate, a bit like we were saying earlier, I appreciate why they are artistically great and they move the genre on. It's just not a genre that generally floats my boat. But I guess I've picked uh, a kind of zombie movie that is different to that. My number eight is 28 Days Later. It is brilliant. Brilliantly directed, some really tense scenes. Interestingly, I I did find out that Alex Garland and Danny Boyle, when they were creating the movie, felt that this notion of the living dead wanting to eat people's brains and some of the cliches around it were really outdated. Um, And they said that one of the original factors behind zombie movies was the fear of nuclear power and its effects on people. And they concluded that one of the biggest fears in modern society is more a fear of disease, which is interesting. And really what they they were really focusing on, could there be a viral apocalypse such as Ebola or something like that, which is quite interesting now when you look back at what's happened over the last couple of years, really. Um, mm-hmm. They were inspired by like anthrax and bioterrorism scares in London and mad cow disease, foot and mouth disease in the UK. So they wanted to almost update the feeling of a zombie movie, which I think they did. And actually, when you look back on it, compared with what we've been through over the last year or so, yeah, they were probably on the money. Another fun fact about it is apparently Stephen King liked it so much, he bought out the tickets for one screening at a New York cinema so he and his friends could watch it on their own. He just literally turned up and said, I want to buy every ticket. That's that's such a Hollywood thing to do. But It re- really is. Oh, I love it, though. I do love it as well, yeah. It's not... Yeah, it, yeah, it's pretty good. I would probably do that if I could. But, but the other thing is... Well, just a second. Why hasn't he got a movie cinema at his house and just asked them to send the tape over? Surely he has that power. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he got one after that. But like you say, maybe it's something about going and doing it and buying the whole thing out. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Unless he's got a favourite theatre. Wasn't that the same with Tarantino? He ended up buying his favourite movie theatre. He now owns it. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I can't remember what it's called. But anyway, sorry, that's going off topic. But that's my number eight. Off topic. 28 Days Later. Now on to Ben's number eight. Okay, my number eight, Tremors. And I love it for so many different reasons, not least because Kevin Bacon is Kevin Bacon. Yeah. But I like this idea that it's a bit like a movie like Snakes on a Plane where somebody said, what about, I don't know, massive man-eating snakes under the desert? And they went, sure. (laughs) But it's actually quite tense. And it has elements of that game you used to play as a kid where it was like safe and lava. So they're safe if they're on the rocks and they're not if they're on the sand. And then there's this kind of... There's almost like a Jaws-like panic and there are people who don't believe them and they have to sort of wait until they get eaten until other people believe them. And you can watch it again. Like You can watch it on two levels. It is quite funny, but at the same time... It is quite tense. I think it's. I. I think. I just think it's a beautiful film in so many ways. It's so silly and innocent, but at the same time, it's like, oh, what's going to happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. It's definitely. It's a cult classic, isn't it? It is. I thought it was older than it is. It's only nineteen ninety. 
Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it does feel like an 80s movie, but I guess it's just just about it's on that nipping out of the 80s. Yeah, like yeah. what I would advise anyone, if you haven't come across this, for the love of all that is holy, avoid Tremors 2, Tremors 3, Tremors 4, <laughs> Tremors 5, Tremors A Cold Day in Hell and Tremors Shrieker <laughs> Island and the television series Tremors the Series because they are all, all terrible apart from the original with Kevin Bacon. Okay, well, that's a good recommendation. So that Tremors marathon, cancel. Cancel it now. <laughs> it's, but it's, it's like, it's the same, it's the same trick. It's like, it's like Jaws 2. Like, oh, it's a shark again. It, 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 just pointless, utterly pointless. Leave yeah. it where it was. Fair enough. I'm going to go on to my number seven because interesting you say about kind of classic horror movies from the 80s. My number seven is a classic horror movie from the 80s and that's Poltergeist. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, that was terrifying. What I love about Poltergeist, we've talked about Poltergeist before on the podcast, so I'm going to keep my description of it very short. We've talked about the fact it was directed by Toby Hooper, not Steven Spielberg, that Steven Spielberg produced it, but he didn't direct it. Apparently, I think he was set to direct it and couldn't make the commitment because he—I don't know what else he would have been working on. But I don't know if that's ET around that time. I don't know. But um, Toby Hooper directed it. Um, there are multiple stories that we covered before about strange occurrences on set and things that obviously characters and, and actors who died and people who worked on the crew. Um, but I guess one of the most famous stories is the fact that there is a swimming pool scene where uh, you see these skeletons coming up out of the uh, out of the ground, and they used real human skeletons rather than props, and they didn't t- tell Joe Beth Williams or the actors about it until after <laughs> they finished the scene because it was cheaper to use real ones and fake ones. Apparently, is that right? God, yeah. that's a very Spielberg thing to do. Yeah. But also, I, I've, gosh, I wonder where, <laughs> do you just like go... Where do you get them in? from, yeah? No, exactly, yeah. Do you mind if? Yeah. I, I remember years ago I was working on a, a TV drama. I won't go into details because it, um, it, would, it would give it away, but um, I wasn't the prop master, but obviously <laughs> not my job. Uh, I couldn't be one. It's a very hard job. And they, they needed to get in, like, is a fantasy thing, and they needed thousands and thousands of teeth. And so they were looking into how you make thousands and thousands of teeth. And some they got a quote from some company in China. This was, like, 15 years ago. And they said, oh, what are they made of? And they came back and went, no, they're teeth. <laughs> like, what, what 100,000 human teeth? Yeah, uh, uh, no, um, and it, in the end, commissioned the British uh, company to um, make them out of plastic. But yeah, that was, they were like it was at the uh, the sort of puzzlement to the person on the other side of the phone. No, no, you you said you wanted teeth. I'll give you a hundred thousand teeth. <laughs> Jesus, I just got I just got this vision. Now I'm really wondering what a hundred thousand human teeth would cost you. And then when you get the quote, how do you negotiate? Just go ah. Uh, I'm going to shop around a bit. I'll come back to you. You know what I mean? So, well, you just got to bite the bullet or something. Hey. 
Um, uh, yeah, but uh, again, a bit like uh, Ben was saying on Tremors, if you've not seen the 1982 original, that is the one to go for rather than remakes or sequels. Um, and oh, I guess what I love about it as well, it's very, it's very Spielberg-esque in the fact that, even though he didn't direct it, um, it's very Spielberg-esque in the fact the family seem like they're in it together rather than almost the the horror movie trick of gradually building to the reveal that suddenly now everybody believes in it. It's pretty quickly the family are in on it right from the start and realise something Mm. weird is going on. I think it makes it almost a a warm, charming film if you can have such a thing in the horror genre. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I quite agree. Um, Your number seven, I can see it coming up. I'm really Mm. intrigued about this because I've never seen this film. So it's a really small film, really. It's um, Pontypool and it was it was actually submitted to um, a Canadian film festival. And I like it. Probably um, there's another one in my list, which is which is set in a radio station. This one is set in a radio station and it doesn't have any massive names in it. But it has a relatively clever plot. I'm not sure I completely enjoy the end of it, but um, it's very hard to talk about it without giving away too many plot points. But suffice to say, um, well-played shock jock finds himself under siege, really, in the town of Pontypool as some kind of virus spreads across the local population. And he ends up being the centre of that world and i quite like the fact that he is a shock jock and he has to change his persona and kind of help people and and discover what's going on and it's just really nicely acted it's it's a bit like because the budget was so low on it it doesn't have you know it only has a couple of sets really and you've got no real special effects or anything it's just based on complete acting and yeah it's just really it's really well done and genuinely keeps you scratching your head to the end brilliant i i I, sounds fantastic i actually when i saw it on your list i did watch a very short trailer of it i think uh i'd not to be honest i'd not even heard of it i'd not seen it and i'd not heard of it but it really makes me want to dig it out now so i will watch that definitely we're on to number six excellent so uh, my number six is the cabin in the woods uh, directed by Drew Goddard. I love Cabin in the Woods. I just think it's a brilliant movie because there's lots of great humour in it. And I know films like Scream and there have been other movies out there that have played and kind of experimented with those horror movie tropes and acknowledged them. But I think Cabin in the Woods does it the best. If you've not seen mm-hmm. the film... It, they stereotypically cast a group of teenagers who have all got the, I don't know, the character traits you would expect in a teen horror film and they go out to the cabin in the woods and then it just goes bonkers. But what's lovely that's intercut with it is this weird kind of experiment that seems to be going on at the same time, which it takes a little while for you as the audience to work out what the hell is going on but it is 
brilliantly done, I think. And then it goes kind of completely bonkers. And then it's got Sigourney Weaver in it, who I love at the end. It's it's great. I love that film so much. And it's a good Halloween movie because it doesn't take itself too seriously and you'll giggle and laugh at all the tropes that are being used and exposed, basically. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And um, it's cleverer than most of those films. As you say, there's, there's something else going on that you don't get for a bit. Yeah. And uh, there, is, there is a classic thing about... It's, there's, there's a kind of evil merman which one of the people really wants to see and there's a fantastic joke that gets played out in the end. But there are, lo- there are lots of monsters that do appear, but apparently when they've uh, surveyed fans of the film it's their favorite character uh, or monster is that one that appears very briefly for like a couple of seconds for a gag at the end that's oh is that right (laughs) yeah that's the one everybody wanted to see more of which is brilliant um yeah uh if if you've not seen it it is essential viewing in my book it is indeed well i would say in terms of cults i think my number seven is also uh, sorry my number six um video drone have you seen oh, video classic a, yeah. a long time ago and uh it's david cronenberg right 1983 it is, yeah. i think yeah mm-hmm. i have i've not seen it for a while i think i found it a tough watch the first time i watched it it's very cronenberg isn't it it's very cronenberg um and it's got james woods in it as well which um, yes which is a, is a joyful thing um Again, I don't want to give too much of the plot away, but imagine that a a, a a rogue pirate sort of television channel is um, interspersing into regular mainstream TV. And um, it's, a, it's not um, a fact I had to uh, investigate too much, but apparently um, Cronenberg used to pick up stations from um canada after dark and apparently his parents used to worry that uh, he would see something that he shouldn't and it uh, i think <laughs> one of the reasons canadians <laughs> well one of the reasons i like videodrome so much is because like a lot of these things have some basis in sort of real life paranoia and not that my parents were paranoid but when i was 16 15 16 i had satellite television in my bedroom and and my my parent my mum didn't have satellite telly in the rest of the house it was just um it was because i was sort of like relatively obsessed with it and kept going on about it but at that time you could get stuff from all over europe it was an analog thing and you could watch the weirdest strangest stuff nothing like videodrome of course but You'd yeah. end up on like a, a German chat show or like some like a documentary about snails in Swedish, and it was just completely fascinating. Like suddenly going from far well, four channels really to hundreds, and all carrying weird things. And I really like that idea um, that it that comes across in the Videodrome stuff. And it's the plot is quite sophisticated, and it's sort of you're never quite sure because it involves a lot of like there's a there's producers within the film who are doing different things and you're never quite sure what's reality and what isn't reality it is yeah. it is a difficult watch but it is a i think uh, uh, over everything it's like a sort of well it sounds pretentious but it's like a 
critique on who can judge other people for what they watch and where the right, yeah, yeah. where do the boundaries lie but yeah. it's really really well written yeah no it is and it's yeah like you say Cronenberg's really good at exploring those difficult themes isn't he yes although you now you've put this idea in my head of launching a channel called snail 24 which is just a channel dedicated to snails it's the ultimate in slow tv it would be it's i just i I love that idea but i'll watch it on the plus one service (laughs) (laughs) the catch-up service (laughs) (laughs) snail tv where you're always caught up yeah brilliant um yes video (laughs) drive yeah good good well, I, I guess I'm going to go for my number five. I was thinking about, we've talked about this movie again uh, on the podcast previously because there are a lot of weird things that happened and strange deaths that are associated with it and its production. And that is The Omen, the original in from 1976. Oh, God, yeah. And, and weirdly, I was thinking about why, I, I think I love it so much because it probably is... It was a serious horror film. Do you know what I mean? It felt serious. You know, it's got a Gregory Peck in it and Lee Remick and some amazing actors and, I don't know, brilliant scripts. And then I was thinking about that and I thought, actually, if if you take the individual parts of The Omen, it could have been a complete disaster, right? Because, you know, it's, it's, right, you know, Satan's son is coming to Earth and all these biblical references and all the elements in it it could have been absolutely ridiculous but it for some reason it just works really well i think it's it's completely wonderful in in so many ways but also it's like um it's sorry the dog is causing absolute mayhem in this it's not a dog it's a jackal it is a jackal. <laughs> okay. There we go. Right. Sorry. We were... of you, I had your vision of this dog screaming, your dog screaming every time you took him near a church. <laughs> uh, oh, God. Right. What are we talking about? Oh, we talk about... Um... We're talking about uh, The Omen. Yeah, but it could like it could be ridiculous, but it works. But it, it's the same way as The Exorcist. There were those scenes in The Exorcist with like spinning heads and stuff, and like those were parodied so often in like sketch comedy. But within the context of the film, yeah. they work brilliantly. And Gregory Peck is just amazing. But I love it, and it even as a young kid, I remember seeing it probably when. I was too young to see it and sneakily watching it on TV and being terrified, terrified. Mm, mm. I, I, I actually, I think it is scarier than The Exorcist. Well, there, there's more psychological plot to it, isn't it? In 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 lots of ways. There's there's a, when you kind of analyse the story of The Omen, there is a lot going on, and there's you know there's so many elements to it that they managed to cram in. That yeah, yeah, love it. Now your, now, your number five, I I got a question about your number five because I saw it on the list. Um, do you want to introduce your number five and then I'll ask my question, probably makes more sense. Yeah, Fright Night. So um, this is the original 1985 
That was my question. And I'd completely forgot. I know you, you, you should talk about it, Friday. Before you get in there, I'd completely forgotten about this film. And I remember going to see this at the cinema. And I thought it was going to be, from seeing the trailer, I thought it was going to be rubbish and just, you know, just childish. And it's really good. I found it kind of funny. There were chilling bits in it. And I, I loved it. And I'd forgotten about it. So I'm glad you've included it. And I'll let you talk about it rather than me. So, so the basic plot is a teenager discovers that there's a new neighbour in, in his cul-de-sac, new neighbour in his neighbourhood, didn't mean to say that, um, but he thinks that he's a vampire and he doesn't know who to talk, who to turn to but turns eventually to this actor who is a ter- television horror show host and he hosts a series in uh, on the television called Fright Night. That's where the um, that's where the title comes from. And all the way through, it has this element of rear window and also the burbs. I'm sure the burbs took some inspiration from this, where he sees various things. The teenager sees various things, and obviously, this actor is completely like dismissive. But he sees these things and and then they can be explained away innocently, but can they? And the whole thing is you're going on the journey with them to discover whether it really is a vampire that's moved in or if if it's just the imaginations of a horror-obsessed teenager. Yeah, yeah. That's a great description of it. That's exactly how I remember it. And it's been years and years and years since I've seen it, but it... There are some lovely visual set pieces in it, even though, you know, it's obviously an 80s film. I remember it has, it's got that kind of glossy horror feeling mm. to it. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, yes. It's, um, it's, it's made for mainstream. So, um, it's, it's very big budget, um, beautifully acted beautifully put together and it doesn't really play it for jump scares it plays it for intrigue mm. really but i i think that that's why i say it's so similar to the burbs again the burbs such an underrated film hardly yeah, ever yeah. seen on streaming but again if you haven't seen it tom hanks thinks that his neighbors are up to no good and he gets all of his neighbors to help him discover whether they are like well, it's never clear whether they he thinks they're murderers or, um, he, you know, some some paranormal entity. But anyway, it's it's kind of a very very similar plot. But both both I love. There was a re was there a re there was a remake, wasn't there? With um, yes, was it terrible? Don't, don't don't go there. Go original. Yes, I'll go original. Go original. Go original. I, I always I, think go original. Yeah, definitely. Well, talking of original movies, see how I segued across there? I do. My number four, and uh, I know, I think if I'd not nabbed it first, it would have been in your top ten as well, is Get Out. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Jordan Peele. What I love about it, I remember um, writing about it a long time ago, and because, you know, everybody... Your first reference point is to look at its connection with looking at America's attitude to race and uh, and all the themes that it follows in that, which, of course, it does brilliantly. But 
you then for me it's just a brilliant horror film but then i go actually scratch that it's just a brilliant film right mm. you know yeah it, it is apart from the fact it does kind of throw up all these issues and commentary on America and the attitude to race. It's just, it's thrilling, it's scary. It reminds me, Get Out reminds me, it's almost like a Stanley Kubrick film. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It's got that feeling Mm. and, and bits of Alfred Hitchcock as well. You know, amazing scene where the character is just running around and runs towards the camera. And there are some lovely visual moments. There's some lovely kind of paranormal, spooky, surreal sci-fi moments in it. I, I did find out a really weird fact about Get Out, though, which I never knew. Oh, yeah. That Eddie Murphy was originally chosen to play the lead role of Chris. Really? Jord- Gosh, yeah. he would have been brilliant. Jordan Peele changed his mind after he decided he was too old for the role. It would have been a he different a movie, though. It would have been a very different movie, I think. It would have been a very different movie. But I, I can't deny I love an Eddie Murphy movie. But, yeah. 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 Well, like I said, horror, horror film or not, it is just a brilliant film and everyone should have watched it at least once, in my view. I completely agree. And the strange thing about it is, again... um. I suppose there are a few jumpy bits, but it it keeps you guessing to those, keeps you guessing on those for a while, doesn't it? Yeah, you don't know what's going on, really. And a a bit like you were saying, weirdly, with Fright Night, you're almost going on the main character's journey with him and you're kind of finding out stuff as they're finding it out, I think. Yes, that's true. That's true. Well, my number four, we know what's going on from the outset, <laughs> even if our chief protagonist doesn't. Bram Stoker's Dracula, I know I know people will say it's a bit hammy. And, right. It's the full Coppola's one. Uh, yes, yes. I still think it's aged okay. Um, but I remember seeing that in the cinema and being blown away by the visuals of the mm. whole thing. And it is terrifying without being terrifying. Yeah. And I really like Keanu Reeves in it. I'm going to be, like put that out there. I think it's really good. I like the fact that it gets more and more claustrophobic towards the yeah. end. Yeah. Um, I like those scenes where at the beginning, Dracula is kind of pulling him into his sphere of influence, even though he doesn't know it. And sometimes you're not sure whether what's what he's experiencing is a dream or not. And it's it's like it's almost like um it's it's like if Meatloaf had more money to make videos, that's what he'd make. Yeah. yeah. Um it's it is very uh it's very erotic in many ways. Um yeah. but I think it, I just think it's beautifully done and every other time I've like tried to watch a a Dracula, you know, a movie based on Dracula. All the old tropes come out, and I think they really pushed the boat out on this one. And I would watch it again and again. Well, it's funny because I think that's that's what I really struck me about it is uh, it really sticks, doesn't it, to the 
as close as it can do to the the book hence the title i guess bram stoker's dracula rather than the kind of i don't know the the adapting the character for various other bits in the other tales of dracula it does stick with it or that does i guess like you're saying it does kind of i was going to say pump up the eroticism compared to the book but it's more of an undertone in the book but it's it's a bit more full-on in the film isn't it it is but i suppose like i can accept that because i don't think it's sort of for titillation i mean the whole thing according to my english teacher is an allegory for sexually transmitted diseases so i suppose that's why you know the director had those pieces come through but there's there's one very particular bit where um uh at night dracula's walking around on all fours on the walls of the castle and mm. I think that is like that's the first time when you're in a movie theater, the audience are like kind of shushed mm. and slightly shocked, and there's nothing massively shocking about it until you realize, like, well, later on it's revealed why he's doing that. I won't give it away, but the whole thing is just filmed very, very shockingly, and I, I yeah, it's genius. It's genius. It's 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 a it's a gothic vision isn't it oh certainly certainly yeah. you should definitely wear a lot of black going going there yeah all right well that's a that's a good choice at number four so moving on to my number three again it's one of those films where i probably don't need to say that much about my number three is the exorcist which again i, I would imagine probably would have been in your top 10 had i not mm-hmm. grabbed it first um William Friedkin again we've talked about this before when we talked about strange stuff that's happened in movies so what I everybody knows the film and the history and everything about it and we've covered all that haven't we the weird stuff that happened during filming deaths mm-hmm. but the, what I what I thought would be worth mentioning is that and I think people a lot of people do know this but some might not it was actually based on a real-life event, loosely. So it was based on the case of a 13-year-old boy who's been referred to as Roland Doe, although versions of his name have come out after that, but let's stick with Roland Doe. What, Roland from Grange Hill? It's not Roland from Grange Hill. That would have been a very different story. Um, but after the death of his aunt, he started to experience strange paranormal activity, some of which is used as inspiration in the film, such as the bed shaking and moving. So they've taken elements from the case. They've obviously changed the character from a male uh, teenage boy to a young girl. Um, but Roland, the guy who, this true life version of The Exorcist, uh, the family's very typical tale after trying to get help from doctors and psychiatrists they turned to the church and in 1949 father e albert hughes was given permission by the church to perform an exorcism and after a tumultuous exorcism in which father hughes actually suffered personal injury there's there's accounts of springs from the bed coming out and basically flying at him and cutting his face and various other bits and pieces. Uh, A bit like the movie in the real-life tale, Father Hughes went, I need a bit of help here, and a second priest was brought (laughs) in to assist him. 
uh, and they would try the exorcism again because it had obviously failed miserably the first time. Uh, in the second exorcism they tried, objects were said to fly around the room. The boy had an X appear on their chest that was basically seemed like it was being carved into their chest without touching it. Uh, and then other patterns would appear and disappear on the boys' bodies, which I think the priest at the time would describe them as snakes that looked like they were travelling up and down his body, but they were, you know, marks on his body rather than the real thing. And, mm-hmm. unsurpri- and unsurprisingly, after months of this, the family had had enough and they took him to a local hospital. Uh, interesting, the priest still kept coming and trying to perform these exorcisms and after one heavy session in which the priests basically said you've got satan in you and he's got to come out this was on april the 18th of 1949 uh they're very specific here the family described a miracle happened at 10 45 p.m the boy came out of his trance looked at them and said he's gone and Roland went on to com- lead a completely normal life after that. Wow. I didn't know that. So this was the case and the story that The Exorcist is loosely based on. But, you know, as we've said, they've kind of changed the sex and age of the character and added various elements in it. And, uh, you know, but it, a lot of it was based on this true life experience of this kid called Roland Doe, or that's that's the name they gave him. Nice. Yeah. Oh, well, I did not know that. Well, from Roland to Freddy, that's a segue, isn't oh, it? Oh, I like that. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> My number three. Hold, night, hold night on, night hold on, Street. everybody. Oh, yeah. Just, let's, let's just pause and take in that segue gold. <laughs> Roland to Freddy. That's right. I can do commercial radio too. I like it, yeah. Um, So, yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street. We all know uh, the caretaker who was child molester, burned by the parents, comes back and haunts kids and kills them in their dreams, right? We all know that. And I think it's one of those, uh, because obviously played um, by Robert Englund, famously and he has managed to keep that character going and going and i uh, i think pretty much not all of them but most of them are pretty good and like i said at the beginning i don't like gore but actually is so hilariously over the top it's like russ abbott's version of gore it isn't really disgusting and you just like he he's like a pantomime character i didn't know if you New and I only discovered this by watching, um, I think it's a Netflix uh, documentary about it. But there is a kind of a real life Freddy Krueger, the Cropsey of Staten Island. So oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, there's this. So there's this guy, um, 1944, Manhattan. Um, he's called Rand, and he's supposed to be one of the most notorious criminals that Staten Island has ever known andre rand and a lot of his life sort of parallels freddy krueger's in a way in a way so 
the kids at the time had this legend of Cropsy, and Cropsy was supposed to be this boogeyman kind of figure who had a hook for a hand. And he would drag children away from their homes, carry them to an abandoned hospital, um, and basically kill them. And Andre Rand decided he would take on the figure of Cropsy. And from that fiction, he began to actually prey on local children. And the bodies uh, began to pile up. And the other weird thing is that he was custodian at Staten Island's Willowbrook State School in the 1960s. So that was an institution for children with disabilities. And when it was investigated, it was found that actually they had some pretty unorthodox medical practices and it wasn't particularly great. So it was actually closed down. Rand, so he, he started his killing spree there. Um, but he had to go and find another job. No one knew who that it was him. And between the school's closing in the early 1970s and uh, a little later on, young girls were going missing. Um, the first one that is kind of notable in that period, there's a girl called Alice Pereira. She goes missing in 1972. Um, she goes missing into thin air. Rand has already served prison time for abduction of several children um so yeah he like the long and short of it is this is a this is an episode about films not rand but yeah he's if you if you were to find a real life freddy krueger you'd be looking at andre rand and it sounds like it was almost a a myth of fantasy that he then adopted and it became a reality and then you've got a that's right on elm street that turns it into a fantasy again wow yeah, yeah, that's that's right. Um, wow, that's because that's, that's bizarre, isn't it? The 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 film centres around, uh, well, the documentary, if I remember, centres around a guy who can't quite remember if when he was at school, Cropsy was just a boogeyman or Cropsy was real, and he goes on a right. little journey and finds out that he was both, which is right. which is astonishing. Yeah, I always remember a Nightmare on Elm Street again watching it quite young and i just always remember there's a scene on a road which is heavily backlit and i, th- I remember freddie's arms getting longer and longer <laughs> and and again i probably if i watched it now i'd probably giggle but at the time at the age i was i was terrified by that scene i remember yeah 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 but now you look at it because it does it like I'm sure that the directors were like, "Oh, this will terrify thirteen-year-olds." Because as an adult, you're like, "That's ridiculous." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there is there something lovely about, uh, lovely in a kind of macabre way, about that idea of coming for you in your dreams. It kind of ties in with those themes, doesn't it? Like sleep paralysis and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, which is fascinating. Yeah. Okay, that's a good one. I actually have not watched it for a long, long time. I don't, it, it's funny with a lot of these older ones you do feel if i watch it again will it take away the magic but i don't know i'm not sure nightmare has much magic it's more like i i the way i look at it is a comic book series and it's just kind of it's just kind of fun and silly yep so a nightmare on elm street that's your number three that is a really good one to watch again just to see whether it's crazy or silly or great 
I my number two is a, a classic, I guess. My number two is Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho from nineteen sixty. And a oh, bit yes. a bit like your duel, I guess a lot of people would see it more as a thriller, psychological thriller than a horror, but it was intended as a horror. I mean, I could probably talk about this film for a whole hour because uh, there was so much about it that's kind of bold and groundbreaking. Uh, but just a few highlights. If it's a film you've never watched, then you've got to. You've got to. So Hitchcock's intention was he wanted to make a credible horror film. Because if you think about it, in 1960s, you know, late 50s, start of the 60s, horror films were really B-movies, right? They were mm-hmm. just they were just fun bits. They weren't really serious. So the, the groundbreaking bits, it's shot in black and white, which I think the studio really didn't want it to be, uh, but he insisted. There's this strange thing where... Uh, again, it seems weird not to give spoilers, but I try not to. But the story starts, and then halfway through, it just you get turned on its head, and it almost it's almost like two movies in one, and you're just left feeling really unsure and anxious about the turn that's just happened to you. Amazing use of music and sound production. The kind of somebody brandishing a knife with those kind of violin sounds is is. Yeah. It's been parodied so much. But the story was loosely based on a real-life serial killer from Wisconsin called Ed Gain, uh, which there is a whole book about Ed Gain. The story took many twists and turns rather than being a representation, but it certainly was the inspiration for Psycho. So if you've never seen it, it, it's essential that you watch it, I would say. I agree. And even Psycho 2 is not terrible. Yeah, yeah. Psycho 2 has its moments. Uh, and I, I haven't watched it all, but there's the TV series, isn't there? Bates Motel, which people rave about. But I, I started watching it and didn't quite get into it. But it, uh, it it's dated really well, in my view, Psycho. I agree. It, it just, it's it's timeless. And yeah, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Well, I think the original Fog has dated really well as uh, as well. That's why I've put it in number two. And that, of course, also largely centres around, well, a radio station, um, a little bit like Pontypool, which I always loved. Yeah. Um, And there's something so spooky about this peculiar fog that descends and the things that are in it and there's some brilliant jump moments the end leaves you wanting more and it always reminds me i didn't know it at the time when i first saw it but do you remember when we were talking about plagues and there was this this talk of these mysterious fogs that were either being emitted by um golden bronze uh circular craft or beings that looked like sort of tall figures in black, like the um, figure of death. Yeah. And and the idea that the scythe was actually um, some fogging instrument. And that hasn't, you know, every time I see the fog now, I think about that. Mm-hmm. Again, the remake, not so good, but the original fog is creepy as hell. It's creepy as hell. And it's another one of those movies where... Actually, if you saw the idea of it and the basic plot written down on a bit of paper, you'd go, oh, come on. 
but that's right so, yeah you know these the you know the pirate sailors and all this kind of stuff but it just it is it's the direction that makes it work isn't it mm. and that feeling uh, john carpenter does that feeling of isolation quite well doesn't he an island or you know like in the thing where you're out in the antarctic he, he just he's a master at that almost feeling isolated and uh scared and with events going on that you just can't control brilliant yes yes yeah it, you start isolating you start isolated and then it becomes claustrophobic yeah per, that's a really good description yeah i and again if the fog is one considering it's directed in 1980 i did watch probably a year or so ago and like you said it's still good still really good you don't mm. you don't have to make too much allowance for the fact that it was made in the 80s or even no. though it, yeah yeah well, moving on to my number one all-time horror movie for Halloween, also from 1980, directed by Stanley Kubrick. It's got to be The Shining for me. Is it, to be fair, that is that does give me the willies. <laughs> they, they should have put that on the movie poster. <laughs> the Shining. It gives Ben the willies. <laughs> Five stars. It's another groundbreaking horror film. Weirdly, even though it is such a horror film, I almost don't think of it as a horror film. I almost left it off the list because, and I don't know why that is. There's something about it, and I can't quite figure out what it is, but it is quintessentially a horror film, but I almost don't think of it that. I mean, that. I, there are the, there are what ten thousand word theses that are written about the movie, um, so I'm just rather than go into that, I just there's a couple of bits that I wanted to talk about. Obviously, the mo- one of the most famous things about it is Stephen King uh, was not a fan. I think that's putting it mildly. He is King. I, I hadn't read this quote until I saw it recently, but King described the remake or the the movie adaption of his book as a big beautiful cadillac with no engine inside which is quite an interesting thing it, i always think it's fascinating mm. that it shows that once you've created something like stephen king did in the book to kind of give it away to somebody else to do something different with you probably can't see it do you know what I mean? It's just never going to yes. work for you, even though everyone else is going, oh, my God, it's a masterpiece. Stephen King just couldn't see it that way. I guess creative differences, but... Yeah, and your baby, you know what I mean? That's what yeah. I always feel about it, letting your baby in the hands of someone else. It's never, you know, nobody wants to see their kid brought up better than yourself, maybe. I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah, completely. And obviously there are also some great conspiracy theories around the film. Uh, you know, mainly a big one about it is it's seen by some as the director Stanley Kubrick's confession that he was responsible for faking the first moon landing for NASA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there are bits like the boy in the film, Danny Torrance, is wearing an Apollo 11 knitted sweater, which again is supposed to be a reference. There's, there are there are a lot of people things in the film i guess one of the most impactful one that everyone picks out is there is a scene in the movie when jack nicholson's character 
types all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. And he types this mm-hmm. over and over again. And people have pointed out that if you look at the way all in that sentence is typed, it's actually typed A11 for Apollo 11. So it would be mm-hmm. Apollo 11 work and no play makes Jack a dull boy, which, again, people have said is a reference to some way Kubrick confessing that he faked the moon landing for NASA or it could just be that that font looks like that. Maybe <laughs> it's the other way of looking. <laughs> Either way, it's one of the two. Yeah. Either way, conspiracy theories and all that stuff aside, it is a brilliant, innovative, and truly chilling all-time great movie for me. And I can watch it over and over and over again. And interestingly, from a production point of view, it was the first one, first movie to use Steadicam, I believe. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Those yeah. scenes going down the hallways, yeah. So, yeah, The Shining is, would be my all-time number one horror movie. Well, I think I've chosen almost the diametric opposite by choosing <laughs> The Lost Boys as my number one. <laughs> i tell you what, I, I, what I did was when I saw your list, I was going through it with my wife, who is a massive horror fan as well, and she liked your list better than mine and she was absolutely ecstatic that you'd chosen the lost boys as number one it's it's so silly it's based on no true story at all it's got Corey Haim in it so you've got to love that um, apparently it was supposed to be like a Goonies type movie when they first started out but it actually turns out to be pretty scary but with a very satisfying end it's got some dogs in it that don't die so that's a good thing um it's just a good romp the music is amazing and you can watch it again and again and see different things in it but it it's you know it's the whole it's a real sort of growing up movie because it's really about falling in with the wrong crowd and things like that but yeah yeah uh, yeah but i just i just really like it um, my favourite. Right, you're right about the music because it's as immediately you just immediately think of people estranged, don't you? That's right. Yeah, yeah. you do. Um, it's just so well thought out, and um, th- like the whole. It's it when you watch it, you feel like a teenager, and that's what I I like about it. Particularly the the you know the mother dating and all that sort of stuff. It's just a brilliant movie. But I've got nothing particular to say about it. There aren't any real spooky facts about it. It's got vampires in. Um, it's got a very young Kiefer Sutherland uh, who does a very good job at being a vampire. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's just brilliant. And you're right. It's kind of The Shining and The Lost Boys. They are kind of very different movies, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but ex- expertly crafted in their own way. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, Ben, should we just, for everyone out there, should we just summarise our top 10 horror movies for this Halloween season? Maybe start, if you can start with your top 10 horror movies. Okay, so I've gone through number 10, Jewel, American Werewolf in London, Tremors, Pontypool, Videodrome, Fright Night, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Nightmare on Elm Street, The Fog and The Lost Boys. Excellent. And I have chosen at number 10, Shaun of the Dead, then Jeepers Creepers, 28 Days Later, the original Poltergeist, The Cabin in the Woods, the original Omen, 
Get Out, The Exorcist, Psycho, and The Shining. Now, before we go, Ben, I thought what we could do, if I forced you to watch one movie from my top ten on Halloween night, which would you go for? Uh, probably Shaun of the Dead. Nice, nice choice. I think that does sum up the 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 vibe of Halloween night. I yeah. I interestingly looking at your list, the the fog was there, and Pontypool was there just because I've not seen it. But I think if I had to pick, I think I'd watch Fright Night on Halloween night. Mm, good call. Just, just because it just feels Halloweeny, the most Halloweeny of the list. It does feel Halloweeny. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. What? I'll go with well, that. I have to say, Ben, I've enjoyed doing that. I don't. Know, I don't know if anyone's still listening out there, or they go, "What the hell have they been going on about for the last hour or so?" But <laughs> um, we thought we'd do something different. Let us know whether you think it's worked let us know your top 10 lists on facebook at tqm podcast we'd really you know don't point out what we've missed because you know it is a personal list rather than us being trying to be film critics but we'd love to know what your top 10s are so if you want to post them do 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 on our facebook page yes and we will uh we'll come back to you with some more paranormal content next week hopefully the thing we've been planning if not something different yeah cool all right well uh enjoy this halloween have, week halloween. and halloween yeah happy halloween and we'll see you next time on the quantum mechanics see you next time bye the quantum mechanics